I'm pleased to be joined today by Suzanne Watnick. Dr. Watnick is the Chief Medical Officer at Northwest Kidney Centers. She's also a professor of medicine at the University of Washington School of Medicine, as well as a practicing nephrologist. Suzanne, thanks for joining us. Oh, Todd, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to discussing everything that has happened here, both in the state of Washington and nationally, particularly with a focus for our patients with kidney disease. So the first known death of COVID-19 in the United States occurred in the state of Washington. Why is that? Why, why Washington State? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, you never know why a first case of something happens in your state versus another. Um, but again, we know that um, people who came from places where it was endemic to begin with um, brought it here. And so we know that the first patient to have been tested and positive for COVID-19 was in Snohomish County. And uh, given that fact, I think the state of Washington uh, really heightened its awareness and put um, many folks on high alert. We were aware that um, we might see a wider spread effect of the virus here. Uh, but nonetheless, I think the phone call that I received on the evening of Friday night, February 28th, uh, was still uh, shocking to me. Uh, we got called and um, the first reported patient death um, was a patient of ours. And I think that really began quite a journey as we tried to not only do the best we could to address how we dealt with the virus in our facilities where the patient was located, but also for all of um, our patients and all of our staff. So it was more than a month ago. I'm curious as to where you think the disease is. Where is the virus in terms of, of the state of Washington and sort of your response? It's really remarkable. We're, we're really fortunate to have a number of groups um, who have been following and tracking very closely. The Institute for Health Metrics and Epidemiology is located here with the University of Washington, and they predicted that we actually reached our peak resource use on April 2nd. So even though we were the first and relatively, you know, rapidly hit, we're six weeks, six plus weeks into it, uh, we're just starting to see the decline in numbers of deaths and numbers of cases. That doesn't mean we should let down our vigilance. Um, we're still in a place where our governor has issued a stay at home, um, stay safe order, and all the schools are closed, as many of you know, through the end of the year. Um, but nonetheless, we are hopefully on the on the downside of, of the virus. And uh, there are predictions throughout the country. I just heard yesterday that things are probably uh, less severe in terms of deaths and cases than were initially predicted, but nonetheless, there are going to be many, many to come. So uh, I think that the, the methods of care, the policies and procedures that we laid out that a lot of people have talked about really um, have been very effective in our facilities. Just kind of walk us through the kind of three phases, maybe the first weekend or week or first couple of weeks, then kind of as you were in the, the height of the response and then as things have started to slow. I'm just kind of curious as to the types of things that the organization did, but also you as an individual, sort of your experience. So after that phone call that we got on February 28th, 
um, I immediately got in touch with my chief nursing officer, and she and I were in a bit of a state of disbelief. Uh, but once we got past that, um, we immediately stood up our emergency operating center. And um, the facility where the patient had passed was a facility that dialyzes uh, Sunday through Friday. So Saturday is actually the day that no one was in the facility, which was fortunate because we were able to first contact our local um, King County public health officials and um, get into the facility, do a very deep clean, and during that entire day basically stood up the framework of how we began screening, caring for patients, and really also um, addressing staff issues. So immediately we put into effect a, a full mechanism to screen for the big four, uh, new fever, new shortness of breath, new cough, and sore throat um, as patients came in, instituted a mechanism to make sure that we're caring for them with what we thought at the time was appropriate PPE, uh, masking them, having full screening for all of our staff up front, including taking temperatures, um, in addition to the symptom screen, and making sure to create an environment where the staff knew how to appropriately use these new tools that they really hadn't used before, the concept of modified droplet contact precautions. We created a video um, so that staff understood how to do that. We made sure that not only were, did we stand up a list of um, the patients who had been adjacent, but also staff who had cared for, and all of those patients and staff members were initially put on quarantine for 14 days. I think this is a good example. This is not what we're doing anymore. It's not what the CDC is recommending anymore, but it's a nice example of how things have evolved. And although we were standing up substantial new policies and procedures, it's changed three or four times over, and we've really had to be quite flexible and nimble. Fortunately, we have a really robust management team. And from the beginning, we established three basic um, guiding principles, which truly have carried us through even to this day and hopefully into the future. And those three are, number one, knowing that we have an obligation to provide dialysis to our patients, no matter the situation, as long as they're healthy and able to come to us in the outpatient setting. Number two, doing our best to lean into the science. We know that even some of this has evolved, but what that means is to try to understand what the virus is, how it's transmitted, and to protect our patients and staff the best we could. And then lastly of the three, uh, to provide leadership through deep communication with our um, staff members and our patients, um, education, uh, to our community as well, transparency and support. And more than anything, after preparing on that first Saturday, my chief nursing officer and I, as well as our um, head clinical director, showed up at 0445 on Sunday morning to greet every patient and have one-on-one -on -one chairside interactions to educate them because we felt it was important for them to hear it first from us before they heard it from the media. And it was really effective. The patients have been very appreciative of all of the communication. We've had four versions now of patients' letters to explain what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, so that's really the first phase of all of this. I can go into additional issues. We've had to be very creative with um, solutions as we've run short on supplies, but I hope that that's a good answer to your question. Before we move to the kind of second and third phases of the response. 
I just want to repeat three things you said. One was that it's important to have guiding principles that help with decision making. The second is the value of emergency procedures and thinking ahead in terms of how you're going to respond in these types of situations. And then the third, and I just want you to expand on this if you don't mind, is the just the crucial role of the dyad between the nephrologist and the nurse and the other health professionals is. I just, I think that piece, um, I know is something that's really important at Northwest Kidney Centers, but it sounds like that's something that's been incredibly valued as you've responded as a team to this, this crisis. I can't begin to tell you how important that interaction is and that relationship is. Um, Liz McNamara is our chief nursing officer and our vice president of patient care services. And she and I have been incredibly intentional about really working on that relationship and providing that as an example at all of our facilities. In fact, prior to um, the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been working on leadership um, effectiveness for our team. And we've been lucky enough to work with the NTDS, the Nephrologist Transforming Dialysis Safety Initiative, which is the, the collaboration between the CDC and the ASN. Um, that has brought a lot of resources to us to understand that it doesn't just take doctors, it doesn't just take nurses, it takes a collaboration to understand um, how to best operationalize what the current science is and what the best patient care practices are. Um, and with that, and with being very transparent that, that Liz and I don't always get it right, um, but we're doing our best, um, we, I think, really have led this organization at the clinical level you know, with a synergistic relationship that has been more than its uh, separate parts. Describe for us what happened sort of later into March as, as, as things progressed. Yeah, so a um, couple days in, the CDC arrived on site. And um, the day after that, the team of 10, we had two folks specifically who were allocated to us. And they helped us to ensure that along with the King County Public Health Group, um, we were doing best practice from their perspective. Um, so as things continued into week two and week three, um, we recognized that although we had taught staff and educated them and felt that we were doing the best we could, um, given supply chain, uh, we started to experience shortages. We didn't have enough masks. In fact, um, our allocation was decreased substantially, whereas usually, of course, we have a 100% allocation of what we need. Uh, we were told we would get 25% allocation. So we really had to work closely with the community. And there were a number of other dialysis organizations that knew that we were in the thick of things. And thank goodness, they provided us with um, boluses of masks, for example, that um, allowed us to keep our patients and our staff safe. We continued to stand up um, new and um, appropriate mechanisms to dialyze patients that now were healthy enough not to be in the hospital but were COVID-19 positive. We had to work with the community to make sure our patients to get, could get to us. So the transportation folks um, who also felt that they weren't protected, we supplied them with a lot of education. In addition to supplying them with education, uh, we also supplied them with hand gel. It was one of the uh, most impressive interactions when we saw um, a transport driver uh, who got out of his uh, transportation vehicle and, and gave us a big thank you um, after we were able to supply him with some hand sanitizer that he wasn't able to find. And so we had to be really creative in addition to uh, <laughs> 
both working closely and begging with some of our um, community dialysis organizations, uh, we then had to think about how could we um, do even better. With the risk of uh, not having enough masks, we actually ordered bandanas in our Northwest Kidney Center's color um, to provide for patients in case we didn't have enough masks for them um, if they wanted to wear them. Also, the hand sanitizer was an issue. We didn't have enough. We ended up finding a local um, pharmacy to compound it for us, but they didn't have the alcohol. So we had to source that in 55-gallon drum to, from California, uh, which arrived, was compounded, and as of yesterday, we distributed 656 bottles of what we call premium reserve <laughs> hand sanitizer made specially for us. And so we're getting folks um, hopefully what they need. We recognized, for example, that there wasn't enough toilet paper for some of our staff members, and we were able to source that so that those folks who are working in the clinics and not having enough time to find some of the supplies that they needed, um, that at least we could make sure we're keeping our healthcare workers um, in the clinics as safe as possible and feeling comfortable that they can go home to their families. So that was that was the second phase. So it sounds like the, the overarching theme of the second phase is really creativity and innovative thinking and just being open to any possible idea, including the, the special reserve. Yes, I think so. In addition to that, there was a lot of interaction um, with other groups who were just beginning to see what we had seen during the first phase. So there was also a lot of contact within the kidney community, uh, which was really heartwarming to see because really no matter who you are, what geographic area you are as a dialysis organization, the patients don't know what kind of dialysis organization they're coming to. It's all a big community. We wanna to work together to make sure that we're there for the patients first and foremost to keep dialysis safe and effective for them and to support staff too. So creativity and community. And I've been really impressed with the response of the, your colleagues, the other chief medical officers of the dialysis organizations and the entire, all of the organizations and in the community more broadly. I mean, the weekly calls and even more frequent communications and people trying to help each other and learn from one another and then identify issues to bring either to policymakers or back to the CDC or to other parts of government has really been impressive. I've thought a lot about this um, because there are all kinds of issues that aren't necessarily community building, um, but this certainly is. And, and that's the goal. I mean, that's really the goal. And along those lines, I think that is really the segue into the third phase because right now it's maintenance and then maintenance turns into how do you recover from this? And so um, even though it might seem a little bit soon, things have been coming at us from every direction, I think it's never too soon to think about how to recover and how to recover well. So again, in addition to the community interactions and all of the, the communications that we've had around this, we're starting to think, you know, what does this mean? You know, life after COVID-19 is not gonna be the same as life before COVID-19. I think um, as we've brought new infection and prevention control measures into to the dialysis facilities, I, I think we have to realize as terrible as this pandemic has been, you know, they say every crisis potentially creates opportunity. And I think that, you know, for example, maybe next flu season, we may have new mechanisms to assess patients, um, to utilize PPE in different ways than we have before. 
to have a more educated um, patient group as well as community staff um, group to understand um, how we can provide care even more safely in the dialysis facilities. I think the other thing that's going to happen is that we'll have a better understanding of the relationship between the federal government and the state governments around healthcare delivery. That you know this is someone who's spent a lot of your career thinking about policy related issues and legislative and yeah. regulatory um, efforts, but but that tension has increased over the last twenty years and it seems like this situation and this pandemic has kind of forced us to reevaluate um, a lot in terms of how we organize healthcare delivery. I don't I, I think that can't be more true. It's so that's such an important um, aspect to spend some time. As we know, policy, policy really does drive practice. So in addition to thinking about life after COVID-19 at the clinical level, what's life after COVID-19 at the policy level, both with regards to legislative and regulatory issues? I think all of the waivers that have been um, provided are there to try to make things just a little bit easier for all of our patients and all of our staff. And there are going to be some things that we hope will persist. And all of those things um, hopefully will be maintained with the goal of making the provision of care easier um, at the level of the front lines in the clinical facilities. So I hope that our legislators and regulators look at this as a case study to see um, how we can at least hopefully distill some of the best of what we've seen uh, to preserve for the future. So I've seen a lot of people who've been making and recommending playlists for the COVID-19 pandemic and to sort of survive this unique time in history. I'm just curious about which songs you'd want to put on the collective ASN-wide COVID-19 playlist. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that question um, because I do feel like um, we've been, you know, part of the band. Um, all of the, of the American Society of Nephrology has really been on the forefront of trying to provide support, not only in the in-center hemodialysis sphere, but also for home dialysis um, at various levels of the community and public policy. Um, so it's a very holistic group uh, in terms of having a concert on the world stage. So in terms of songs for the future that would represent this time period, gosh, I think making sure that we are, you know, we're right now we're right on the borderline of so many things that um, we can provide for the community. Don't forget that. It's great that we can express ourselves. Um, and I think that um, we should really make sure that we're putting ourselves out on the cover like of Vogue or various other magazines that have a lot of um, ability to communicate with the masses. So I think I'm kind of um, bringing forward a soundtrack to Madonna there, uh, but I'm sure there are many other uh, celebrities that we could um, channel right now to make sure that we're doing the best we can for the community. Thanks, Suzanne. You are Nephrology's lucky star, and we appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency 
or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.